five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher. On this week's episode of the Space Economy Podcast, my guest is Marcia Smith, the founder of Space Policy Online. You may remember that Marcia was my guest recently on November 16th. I didn't plan to have her back on the show so soon, but it turns out there was some notable space policy news last week from the 8th National Space Council meeting. We'll get to the news from last week's meeting in just a second. But first, a word from Circo Canada, our sponsor. With 40 years' experience in the space sector, Circo offers a full range of operational and engineering services. Through long-standing partnerships like the one Circo enjoys with the European Space Agency, Circo contributes to programs like Copernicus and Onda, supporting open data and user experience. With best-in-class capabilities in Earth observation, Circo offers a wide range of space and ground support from data capture to data handling to data exploitation. For more information on Circo's space capabilities, visit circo.com backslash na backslash Canada. Okay, now on to my conversation with Marsha. Listen in. Welcome, Marsha, to the Space Economy Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I should say welcome back because you were here like four episodes ago, but and I wasn't expecting us to be talking so soon, but dramatically, maybe, maybe not, uh, we have some space policy news to, to end the year. So, and that news, of course, is that there was an eighth meeting of the National uh, Space Council, which will be the last one uh, of the uh, Trump administration. Uh, and at that meeting, there was... Um, some news, both for uh, a policy side of it, from the NASA side of it, and also from the uh, unacknowledged, looks like we're leaving side of it. (laughs) So uh, before we dive into it, though, uh, into the actual substance of the national space policy from last week, uh, why don't you just give me some general thoughts of what you thought of of the meeting itself uh, and of the National Space Council, I suppose, for the last few years, because it had been dormant, the Trump administration brought it back, and and now we're heading into a new administration. So your your thoughts on this meeting and, and what it's meant over the last few years? Well, the meeting itself, I think, was mostly, I don't mean this derogatorily, but it's mostly a show. And it was an opportunity for Vice President Pence and the cabinet officers and other high-ranking officials to put more accolades on to President Trump and how he has rescued the space program. And of course, that's a very controversial attitude in the space community because the space program really was doing pretty well even before Trump came into office. And he's taking a lot of credit for things that started long before he came into office. But in terms of what I think the White House wanted to get out of it, it was to focus on how President Trump has really put his stamp on space policy and on American leadership. And there certainly are places where you can see how things have changed or are changing because of the four years that he's been in office. So I think it's pretty fair for them to uh, sort of give a summary of what it is that's been accomplished in the last four years. And that's mostly what the new space policy is about. There there isn't anything brand new in this new space policy that they announced. They basically took 
what the Trump administration has been doing for the past four years and embedded it into the Obama space policy. So this all it's all wrapped up now in one big ribbon so that you don't have to look at each individual space policy directive that Trump put out or his executive orders. It's all right there in one place with his name on it. Well, now you just took the thun- thunder <laughs> all out of the podcast because it's basically <laughs> there's nothing to talk about. Okay, maybe there's a few things to talk about. So yes, I, I, I think uh, it, it to me, it certainly came across as a... a uh, you know, we've done a lot and let's pat ourselves on the back um, and, and giving every uh, it seemed like everybody who was almost everybody on the on the committee or on the council a chance to talk and, and, and you know, unscripted, as it were, and say, well, you know, what do you think? And how is this going? How is it going for you? Um, but um, and also, of course, it is true that, you know, President Trump did not save the space program. As a matter of fact, there has been for several years now quite a bit of bipartisan support uh, for most of the programs. I mean, they would squabble over some of the funding back and forth, but overall, um, uh, it seemed to be quite uh, quite a lot of bipartisan support for for the space program. Is that would you characterize it that way? Absolutely true, both in terms of Congress and in terms of presidents as they come and go. Again, there are different areas of emphasis. And certainly during the Trump administration, there's been this big emphasis on Space Force and what they're calling warfighting domain. That's a term that has sort of been around before Trump came into office, but it just became a very popular refrain. You hear it over and over and over again about how space is now a warfighting domain. And so we have to look at things differently and there certainly is some you know, policy basis for that. But I think that the emphasis that they keep putting on it may be a little over the top. So uh, I read your article on this. And, and, and so this is my question comes at it from that perspective. Should we read anything into the timing of the space policy? Um, you know, I think you wrote that there are some administrations that put policies out right at the beginning. There's some that do it right at the end. Is there anything to read into this or it was just we're putting it all together for posterity? I think it was just putting it all together. But Scott Pace had said back in May that they were doing this. So I don't think there was any surprise that they came out with a new space policy. We've known that they've been working on it. I wouldn't be surprised that even if Trump had won the election, that they would have put it out about now. So I didn't find anything surprising about the timing. Now, in terms of the actual statements that people uh, said, was there anything from DOD, transportation, commerce, uh, anything that uh, that stood out to you from any of those statements that they made? Well, the news for me came from the director of national intelligence, which you know had to do with their interaction with the space community and them wanting to make the Space Force part of the intelligence community. None of the other military services are part of the intelligence community. The Department of State is, so it's not unprecedented to have an entire department counted as part of the intelligence community. But ordinarily, it's just the intelligence branches of the services, you know, and of DOD itself, like the Defense Intelligence Agency, that are incorporated under the intelligence community rubric. There are 17 of them right now. So it was a bit of a surprise that they want to bring Space Force in as a whole, because uh, Rightcliffe also talked about creating a National Space Intelligence Center as part of the Space Force. So you would think that would be the part that would go into the IC. So I found that a little surprising. 
and talking about how the IC is putting money into uh, space uh, and, and, and Space Force kind of things. And uh, he wouldn't say how much money that was. But I did find it surprising that they were able to tap into the IC coffers in order to get money out for things that support a military service. IC being the intelligence community and right. um, uh, the director of national intelligence, DNI, is John Radcliffe. So, yeah, that's one of the things that stood out to me as well. Uh, I mean, you already have 17 communities within the intelligence community, right? Uh, and now you want to add an 18th member to the U.S. intelligence community. Things getting out of hand, maybe? <laughs> well, is I it really know. needed? <laughs> I don't know. I can't speak to that because I'm not really an expert on the intelligence community. But I did just find it surprising that they would want to do that, that that, that was being announced so late in this administration. So we're going to have to see what happens when the Biden administration comes in, if they still want to pursue that or you know what value they see in putting the Space Force as part of the IC and how that changes the reporting relationships. Right now with space, you have the National Reconnaissance Office, which is part of the intelligence community, and they report up to the DNI, but General Raymond reports to the Secretary of the Air Force. So there is this bifurcated reporting relationship. I don't know how that would change if suddenly Space Force was a quote unquote member of the intelligence community. So that's something to keep our eyes out for next year. Now, the other thing that came out of this uh, was the talk about China. Uh, Vice President Pence brought them up in relation to what they've just done in uh, with the moon, with the, the lunar sample return in part. Uh, and and he characterized them as a uh, an emerging uh, competitor. And then you had the DNI, John Radcliffe, who came out and um, went further and said China poses the greatest national security threat to the United States, uh, and including their activities in space. So any surprises there that, that you know China was singled out? Not really. We've heard this a lot. Usually it's Russia and China. And until this meeting, often Russia was portrayed as the greatest threat. But now, because of the whole Trump administration's overall perspective about China, which has changed, I think, in the past year after COVID began and everything, I think that you're hearing much more about China. And China's space program is in the news because of lunar sample return mission, and it should be back in a day or two from the moon. And that is quite a feat for them. And they did do this in a very complicated manner, saying that they were doing it this way because this is how you would bring people back. So they are trying themselves to footstomp the idea that they do plan to send people to the moon, which plays in very well with the U.S. interest in leadership, because we seem to do a lot better with these programs if we feel that we're in a race rather than just doing it on our own. Competition is good. Competition is good. So as is long cooperation. As, <laughs> so is cooperation. We've got lots of cooperation, but we've also got some competition. And yes, uh, Radcliffe also did mention uh, Russia after China, though, like you said, as behaving provocatively uh, in, in space. Um, I'm just trying to, I'm going through my notes here from, from the meeting. Um, 
we'll get to the NASA stuff in a bit, but in terms of the actual national space policy, um, is there anything in the document that that hasn't already been discussed, or is it basically just a, a rehash of, of the last four years with the combination of what uh, the Obama administration had done? I think it's pretty much that. If you take space policy directives one through five and the two executive orders, and, and weave them into the language that was already there, I think you pretty much come up with the Trump space policy. So I didn't see anything in there that surprised me that said, oh, wow, this is new. It really was stuff that we've known about over these past four years as the Trump space policy has evolved. Now, looking at the space policy and thinking to the next administration, are they going to find any fault with it or are they just going to go, well, a lot of this is stuff that we've talked about in the past and some of it makes sense and so they'll just laissez faire, leave it alone? A lot of the content of these space policies over many, many presidents, over many, many decades really has pretty much stayed the same. The tone of the document can change. Sometimes it's a little more bellicose. Sometimes it's a little more welcoming. The Obama policy, I think, struck the right balance between that, making it clear that the United States was going to protect its interests in space, but it also wanted international cooperation, that it wanted to be a leader in space, but it also wanted international cooperation. And I, I really don't see a change in that tone, even though you know this space policy brings in the Space Force and, and the other actions that the Trump administration has taken in national security space. But the tone of it, I don't think, is all that different. Nothing that would... Uh, really upset any of our international partners. Now, there were a couple of MOUs that were mentioned during the meeting, uh, including from the OSTP, uh, Kevin Drogmeyer, uh, on space weather. Can can you talk to that? I mean, is that, uh, when was that signed and is that ready to, to go, the new space weather bill? So, uh, I don't think it was actually explicitly mentioned, but uh, there were two senators who have spent five years trying to get a space weather bill passed through Congress, uh, Gary Peters of Michigan and Cory Gardner, who just lost his reelection bid from Colorado. So they finally got that bill through after all these years of negotiation. And uh, OSTP already has been doing a lot on space weather, trying to coordinate all because there's so many different parts of the government that are involved in this, you know, critical infrastructure is involved as well as the research and and the operations and all of that. So I think that this is more a continuation of all the work that has been going on. And now we have this new piece of legislation that that was just signed into law maybe three weeks ago or so. So there's a lot going on in space weather and people I think are appropriately concerned about the impacts on our electric grid and satellites and everything in the case of these big solar events. Now, also, uh, the Energy Sector Secretary uh, Brulette uh, said the DOE, Department of Energy, was uh, working on a new space or new strategy to support the new space policy. Was that new or, or is that something that they've been working on for a while? So uh, Secretary Brulette is a big space cadet. I mean, he was just so delighted when he was acting secretary and he got to go, go to his first space council meeting. He, was, he just seemed like a little kid who, you know, just got the, the best prize he'd ever gotten. And, uh, and he, I'm not sure he jokes, but he keeps talking about how DOE stands for the Department of Exploration. And he points to all of the work they've done with NASA over all these decades on nuclear power sources in space. 
And so I, I didn't know specifically that they were working on a new strategy, but it certainly is no surprise to me. And uh, the last MOU I remember hearing about uh, from the Commerce Secretary uh, Wilbur was the uh, uh, between Commerce and DOD. And I suppose that was about space situational and awareness. Yes, of course, the Department of Commerce, uh, headed by Wilbur Ross, has been assigned by the White House to be in charge of what they call space traffic management, other people call space situational awareness. I think there's still some work to do on coming up with a common definition of that, but there is a definition in Space Policy Directive 3. And so the Department of Commerce is responsible for that, and they're taking over part of what DOD has been doing for all these years. And so they're working on this open, I'm, I'm sure, not sure I'm get these words in the right order, open data architecture repository. Those words may right. not be in the right order. But anyway, it's basically uh, Department of Commerce using DOD data to do spatial situational awareness, to be able to project potential collisions, and then DOC Commerce wants to infuse into that data from commercial sources as well. But in terms of the commerce and DOD relationship, they need to have this MOU so that you can get all of the data that uh, the Air Force currently collects about objects in space. Well, I'll probably get some more information on that in the new year because I'm going to have uh, Kevin O'Connell, the... uh, director of the Office of Space Commerce at the U.S. Department of Commerce as a guest. So that'll be, uh, that'll be a, a fascinating uh, podcast. Now, Yes, I mean, one of the things about that is that Congress has not yet given the Department of Commerce the authority. And that's one of the things that, you know, is still on the wish list for this year. I'm not sure it's going to get done this year. But even though the White House has assigned it to Commerce, Congress has not done that in law and they're still working on getting Kevin the kind of money that he needs to really implement this. He has worked wonders with the meager amount of money that they've been giving him so far. And uh, the Senate at least is trying to plus, plus that up quite a bit this year, but we'll see what gets into the final appropriations act. But Kevin has just done a marvelous job. Now, the meeting was supposed to start at 12.30. And what was it, one fifteen? I think, when it finally got started? And, of course, Vice President Pence had to be somewhere else at 3. And I don't think he actually was there at 3, so his next meeting was going to be late. Um, and so this meeting actually went, went on because um, uh, it was an hour and a half into the meeting before we actually got to NASA. <laughs> Because that was going to be the big reveal. That was the big reveal. And so they spent an hour and a half talking about everything else before they actually got to NASA. And it sort of felt like an afterthought. And then it was the the reveal of the the astronauts, which, uh, what did you think of that? Well, before we get to that, I should just point out that um, Pence's plane was late. I don't know why it was late, but it was late. And he had a previous engagement before he got to the Space Council meeting, which was another very interesting aspect of this, which is he was uh, at Cape Canaveral Air Force Station, renaming it as Cape Canaveral Space Force Station and renaming Patrick Air Force Base as Patrick Space Force Base. And he further announced in honor of Chuck Yeager, who had just passed away, that they're looking at naming other 
Space Force installations in honor of Jaeger and, and other heroes like him. So that's one of the reasons the Space Council meeting was delayed. And uh, I think the three o'clock thing was just wheels up to head back to Washington. So I don't think he was, yeah. <laughs> he might've been late for dinner, but I don't think it was a big deal. But anyway, in terms of uh, the rumor had been out that they were going to announce a new Artemis cadre of the astronaut corps. Uh, I'm, I can't remember if we knew it was 18 or not, but certainly I think for people who had been following the fact there was going to be a space council meeting, we were all just waiting and waiting and waiting, listening to all this other stuff because the astronaut reveal was the big important step. So it wasn't an afterthought. It was like they'd been building up and building up over that first hour and a half. So I think it was, you know, a fine thing for them to do. And it's 18 astronauts and Jim Bridenstine, kept saying it was just the first cadre. There will be more cadres of Artemis astronauts. Uh, I'm not sure if I were in the astronaut corps, how I would feel about one group that's sort of moon bound and another group that's going to be stuck in Leo. I would, I would like to be in an astronaut class where all options were available to me. So um, I'm not quite sure how that's all going to play out in the future, but Brian said, I've been talking about this astronaut cadre for the last year and a half. So I, I wasn't a bit surprised that they wanted to do it. And uh, and congratulations to all of them. And he did it before he left because um, his last day is January the 20th. He's decided he's not going to serve beyond that. Um, and it, it is very unusual to have someone appointed by one president to stay over to another president. Not unprecedented, right. but very not unprecedented. unusual. And I think if he had wanted to, because he was pretty much well liked that he, I think it might have been some people would have been gone to bat for him there he certainly is a very popular NASA administrator and I give him a lot of credit for that he was a very partisan Republican congressman before that but yes, he has very true. himself to really understand what NASA needed and he has put himself out there doing what NASA needs and I give him a lot of credit and his statement as to which outlined him, you know, why he was not going to do it was very clear about the, you know, you could tell the partisan lines were back. <laughs> the NASA um, administrator needs to have the confidence of the president he serves. That's right. That's what he said. Um, we're not going to speculate today as to who's going to get uh, announced uh, um, because we there's just too much speculation ongoing anyway. Uh, but we do know that uh, we'll have an interim once again, uh, and it'll be Steve Jerzyk, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yes. Which is not unexpected because he's number two. Um, sorry? He's number three. Number three. So it's Bridenstine, then the deputy administrator, Jim Moorhart, will also have right. to leave at the end of the term. And then uh, right. Steve is the top civil servant. That's right. And then uh, the one thing that sort of was interesting is that uh, Bridenstine once again went to bat for the human landing system. Uh, he, he was very political in terms of navigating this issue of thank you very much for the money that we've gotten. We're, you know, it's, it's fantastic. We're not quite there yet, though. We need a little bit more money. So are you guys going to give it to us? Because if we don't have it by the end of, I think he said the end of March originally, that uh, there were going to be some hard decisions. Right. Uh, and now the one so last the, thing the, that the, I... The current contracts end in February. They want to down... He wants to down-select to two 
you know, we're going through the same process that uh, happened with the commercial crew program where the right. NASA administrator at the time, Charlie Bolden, wanted two competitors, but Congress wanted only one because it'd be less expensive. And Charlie really said, no, we have to have two. We have to have the competition and we need a backup just in case one of them doesn't work out. And Bridenstine is doing the very same thing for the human landing systems. So they're going to need money to pay these guys after February, whoever they yeah. pick. Uh, and go, the last thing that I uh, of interest, and this is actually in your from your article, um, and you were talking about U.S. Space Command. Uh, it's one of the eleven unified co- uh, combatant commands in charge of war fighting, uh, and was reestablished. Uh, you write uh, in August of 2019 after 17 years. But then you point out that the U.S. Space Force. Um, uh, is separate from this. So uh, maybe you can explain that a little bit to me, why yeah. <laughs> why they're Everybody separate. Everybody's confused about this, and I don't blame them either. It's very, it's very hard, especially because I, I don't think that unified commands are very well known anywhere in the United States, and they don't know that we have unified commands that actually do the war fighting, like Central Command and Southern Command and Strategic Command and Northern Command. I won't go through all 11 of them. And some of them are geographic commands, like Central Command that has an area of responsibility, and some are functional commands that support them, like Transportation Command. And so this structure of having commands that do the warfighting and services that provide the warfighters and the equipment and everything, I think it's just not a concept that many people are familiar with. So suddenly in the space business, they've been confronted with this at about the same time, and they both have the word space in them. And so trying to separate space command from space force really is a challenge for everybody. But basically, the space force is a sixth military service. It's like the Air Force. And there's Air Force, Space Force, Navy, the Marine Corps, which is part of the Navy, and the Army, of course, and the Coast Guard. Those are the six military services, and they organize, train, and equip personnel. That's their job, OTE. This comes from the Goldwater-Nichols Act, which reorganized the military back in the 1980s. So that's what the services do, all of them, including Space Force. It's a military service. Then the commands are the ones that are charged with going out and fighting a war when the commander in chief and and Congress and everybody decide that we need to fight a war and they draw upon these services to give the personnel and the equipment and everything in order to execute that mission. So space command is a war fighting command and space force is a military service. You know, that was actually very clear. Oh, good. (laughs) And, and it did clear it up for me. That's for sure. Um, So, I think, uh, oh, I suppose I have one last question, Um, and it concerns the Space Council. And I think I asked you this the last time, but I'm going to ask you again. Um, Now that this, uh, the eighth meeting is uh, of the uh, National Space Council has come to an end, um, will there be a ninth meeting? Will there be a National Space Council uh, with the new administration? Oh, I wish I knew. Everybody wants to know the answer to that. You know, Biden, when he was vice president, would have chaired a National Space Council if the Obama administration chose to have one. So the fact that they decided not to have a Space Council indicates to me that the vice president at the time, Biden, was not all that interested in space. Now, a lot has changed in the last four years. It really has. 
And it could be that they're going to look at space anew, and especially in terms of U.S. leadership and, and all these other themes that you have about the space program and decide that, yes, we should continue to have this at the highest level of the White House structure and have the vice president involved. Uh, Kamala Harris I, doesn't really have a track record in space, but Mike Pence didn't either when he came in as vice president. But it turned out to be a passion of his. Uh, I don't know that anyone has asked uh Vice President-elect Harris, if she has a passion about space or not, but uh, we're just going to have to wait and see what it is the Biden administration does. As everybody points out, there was a long period of time, 25 years, when there was no Space Council, and we still got a lot of space policy done. The Office of Science and Technology Policy handled civil and commercial. The National Security Council handled the National Security Space Program, and they coordinated together to come out with some pretty good space policies during all those years. So it's not as though you must have a space council in order to have good space policy. But if you don't, then you have extra work to do in coordinating everything. So I think that this space council with Vice President Pence and Scott Pace has been very effective in executing this whole of government approach to space which they talk about a lot and is very important increasingly as space you know, gets into so many different sectors of the American economy and of our critical infrastructure, you really do need this whole of government approach. And it makes sense to have a National Space Council if you have the right people. It's very important that you have an executive secretary and a vice president who's chairing the council and a NASA administrator and a chief of space operations and all these cabinet level people who really are focused on coming out with a unified solution instead of fighting skirmishes behind the scenes. So it's a lot of it, a confluence of having the best people as well as having the organization. And I think people will say that Scott Pace did a good job of navigating and bring all those diverse pieces together to to, to make it work. Um, Really did. since I can't get you to, to, to answer the question, um, are we going to have it? Maybe I can get a, an answer as to, should we have a National Space Council? And you already sort of answered it in a way, but I mean, in your opinion, should the National Space Council still exist? Again, if you have the right people, I think it's very helpful in having a whole of government strategy to the space program. But there was a space council during the George H.W. Bush administration that was not very effective because there was so much conflict between that space council and NASA in particular. And I think that we do not want to go back to those days. So if you could find, I don't know where you would ever find anybody like Scott Pace. He really is quite unique as an individual and because of his diverse background, because he's been in so many different parts of space over his career. So if you could find someone uh, sort of like Scott Pace and you had a vice president who was really willing to go to bat for the space program the way Pence has, and you have people at the head of NASA and these other space agencies who want to use that process in order to get things done, yes, I think it would be very effective and would be beneficial. But we don't want the kind of dysfunctional space council that we had back in the late 80s and early 90s. Well, Marsha, you're a wealth of information and insight. Thank you for for being on the show and giving us some of your insight into uh, this last meeting. Um, 2021 is going to be an exciting year, hopefully a much better year once uh, we get this uh, vaccine out there. And uh, 
I'll look forward to having you again once we have some more news. Well, thanks so much for inviting me and onward to 2021. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Your feedback is very much appreciated. Please use our Twitter channel at The Economy Space to contact us or send us an email at podcast at spaceq.ca. As always, if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash spaceq.ca.